Good morning. Isn't it lovely to be together this morning? Particularly as we approach Thanksgiving and as we look at the many ways that God has blessed us throughout our lives in ways that maybe we've been able to take pause and recognize, but maybe in other ways where we haven't been able to. Maybe things have been going so fast that we haven't stopped and just breathed and looked around and seen the people that we care for, really seen them, and see the gifts that we have been given, that we haven't asked for, that we have been given freely. That's a little bit about what we're talking today. Hey, believe it or not, we are at the end of this sermon series that we started in September about taking off the mask and about what it means for us to show up as our authentic selves, not just face-to-face to one another, but to show up as our authentic selves to God as well. So we're going to turn to a passage in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. This happened, this comes about in... Um, Jesus is sort of a miscellaneous part of the scripture. Jesus has been teaching a lot. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about how unique this passage is in some ways. But uh, for now, I invite you, you can follow along on the back of your order of worship. You can follow along on the screens. You can close your eyes and just listen. But I invite you to try and experience worship or worship to experience the scripture in a new way today, whatever that new way might be for you. Here's how we start. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. In some, in some verses, it's um, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found in return to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Friends, I invite you to bow your hearts and minds with me as we consider Scripture anew and pray. Please pray with me. Holy God, we are grateful for your presence in our lives and for the presence of those around us. We are grateful for the way that you have provided for us. We're sorry that so often, even though you do provide, we live out of a fear of scarcity that somehow it's all going to disappear. It's as though we don't rely on your being present every day. It's as though we don't rely on you following through with who you say you are, which is the God of life and life to the full, which is the God of love, which is the God of sovereignty and provision. So we pray, God, that as we come into this moment of turning our attention wholly onto you, that we will take away the masks that we wear and see you clearly, the one who is everlasting who never fails, who provides. May we be people who seek to be aligned with you and your will and your character, reflecting who you are in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the 16th century, during the time of the Reformation, 
which was that time where all of this ethical and liturgical and cultural changes were happening in the church, Martin Luther was asked to describe the nature of true worship. Do we have um, new lights on today? Are these lights, these lights are like so bright. I fear that I'm going to, last week it was the music, right? This week it's the lights. I'm getting super high maintenance as I get older. (laughs) These ones right across. Is there anything we can do about it? Oh, oh my. So... (laughs) That was very exciting. Um, for those of you who weren't aware, we had all the electricity shut off in the church over the weekend. And so there's all of these surprises that we've been encountering since we, everything came back on. So at some point in time, you start like seeing cartoons show up on the screens. That's what's happening is that we're all trying to get everything back to those original settings. Okay. So where were we? We were talking about Martin Luther and Martin Luther was once asked in the midst of all of this upheaval and all of this change, he was asked if he could describe the true nature of worship, the nature of what authentic and true worship was. And he answered by saying something very, very simple. He said this, true worship is the 10th leper turning back, which is a lot to say of one story in scripture that isn't necessarily obscure, but also isn't given any special designation by the gospel writer. Whereas there's a section in the gospels where Jesus speaks extensively about the second coming, and there is a section for miracle healings, and there is a section for teaching in parables, and then there's the section where Jesus uh, preaches for a long period of time, either called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, depending on where you are. The story of the lepers comes after, after a section that translators have entitled Some Sayings of Jesus. Like there is just no category for them. So we'll just all put them right here, right? In terms of where it's placed in the book of Luke, this passage for today is an unassuming passage to carry the distinction of the illumination of the true nature of worship by one of the fathers of the Reformation, which then leads me to ask, and hopefully leads you to ask with me, what is so special about the story of the lepers that Martin Luther hangs the very nature of worship upon it? So I want us to go through it a little bit together to start ourselves off. Our passage for today, it starts with Jesus, who has his heart set on Jerusalem. And whenever we read that in scripture, when Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem in the New Testament, vast majority of the time, we are reading that Jesus is heading on that journey toward the cross, right? So it's not just that he's trying to get to the city, it's that he is heading toward the cross, to this moment, to this event. And so Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem, both the city and the event, and then comes to uh, what some, uh, some uh, translations of the Bible say, the region between Samaria and Galilee. And that sometimes can be misunderstood by readers and by scholars, since there isn't really a vacant region between Samaria and Galilee. What our scripture said in the NIV today was the most accurate. It's a border. It's a borderland. And so geographically, Judah, which is where the Jews lived and where Jerusalem was, that was in the south. And then Samaria Samaria was right above that, a little bit north. And then above Samaria is Galilee, where Jews also lived again. And so 
you have Samaria sort of sandwiched in between these two Jewish regions, which is probably one of the reasons why Jesus has quite a bit of interaction with the Samaritans. Because in order to get from Galilee to Jerusalem and back again, he has to walk through their region. So when the gospel writer says that Jesus enters that space between Samaria and Galilee, they're saying that Jesus is in the borderlands, which is to say that Jesus is in a liminal space or in that space in between. And in general, when we read about liminal spaces in the Bible, and really when you read about a liminal space in literature anywhere, Whenever we read about that fuzzy sort of gray area between two distinct places, we know that we are going to encounter some sort of transformation. And that's true for our story for today, because the transformation is coming, isn't it? Yes? Yes. And so what we find is that there's a colony of lepers, and they call out to Jesus from a distant a distance, which is saying a lot about some legal and social norms in that ancient era, which you may have heard of before. When someone was diagnosed with leprosy in ancient times, they were required to leave their family and their community and live in a sort of self-quarantine in order to keep the leprosy from spreading. And so those quarantined individuals would gather in groups at the edge of the villages, and they were required to keep a certain distance away from anyone who didn't have leprosy. So the people with leprosy in this story are following the rules, right? They're at the edge of the village, this community of 10 people that's born out of necessity, and they're calling out to Jesus for mercy, which is sort of a vague request when we consider it. So vague that it's probably a clue that this is what they did to anybody who walks by. Maybe not just to Jesus specifically, because they're not asking for anything in particular. They're not asking for healing. They're not asking for money. They're not asking for help or forgiveness or giving any indication that they want Jesus to intervene other than to just help a little bit. We get this sense that what they're asking for is any kind of comfort from anyone who is willing to offer it, just something to alleviate that physical and the social and the emotional strain that they are living under. So the gospel writer says that when Jesus sees them, and there's this theme about the role of seeing, right, that starts here and it goes all throughout our story for today. When Jesus sees them, he doesn't really tell them what he's about to do, but he just tells them to go and show themselves to the priests, to which the passage says, and as they went, they were made clean, and as they went, they were healed. And so now I want to make just one more note on how we might be tempted to read this story about the lepers, specifically about the nine and about the one. Because the human brain has a habit of trying to simplify the things that we hear and the things that we learn. And we do this for easy recall and memory. But what this means is that our recall and our memory is really, really unreliable. Anyone here who is a trial lawyer, or at least anyone who, like me, has watched loads of Law and Order, can tell you that this is a known fact because our brain compacts information 
for storage, we often lose the important parts unless we are very careful to be intentional about keeping track of it, like taking notes or something like that. One of the first ways that our brain likes to compact information is by sifting things out into simple categories, right? Good and bad, right and wrong, black and white. Our brains like to take out all of the nuances and make things uniform because it's much easier to remember that way. So why am I telling you this? Because if your brain has done that with this particular passage of scripture, if your brain has sifted the nine into one category and the one into another, into good or bad or right and wrong or black and white, then I just want to call attention to it for a moment because when we read the passage carefully, what we see is that there is no designation of good and bad or right and wrong given to the nine or to the one by Jesus. There is absolutely no value judgment that's being spoken of here. This passage isn't a morality tale about who is right and who is wrong, about who is better and about who is worse. This passage is about what some people see and what some people don't. It's a story about how some people respond to what they see and how some people don't. So when Jesus tells the story or tells the people with leprosy to go and show themselves to the priests, it's important to point out that every single one of those 10 lepers responds to Jesus in faith. And every single one of those 10 lepers is healed. Jesus is giving them an errand without telling them the purpose, which is to say this, Jesus is asking them to follow his directions in faith. Faith in what? They really don't know at this point. All the same, they take them up on it, be it out of their desperation for some comfort and some relief, or out of their surprise that someone was really interacting with them. And scripture says that it was as they went, it was as they acted in faith for outcomes that they did not know that they were healed. Now, We don't know what was going on with the 10 during this time. Maybe they went just to give themselves something else to do rather than stand at the edge of the village all day waiting for people to walk by. Maybe they went because one or two of them said, well, why not? And the rest of them all followed along because where else were they going to go? Maybe they went because they truly did hope for some relief at the end of their journey. But regardless as to why or the reason why all of the 10 went, what we do know is that one of them, at least, was very attentive to his present state of being. One of them, as he went, was so present that as he goes, he realizes that he is being healed. And so rather than continuing on his journey all the way to the priest, what that one does, recognizing that he's healed, being present in the moment, noting that change, he turns around And he runs back to Jesus and he praises God. Jesus then, when the man comes back, he has some commentary on what this guy is doing. You know, sometimes I think that we read Jesus, Jesus in general, but we'll just talk about here. Sometimes I think that we read Jesus with this tone that is all-knowing. Like, Jesus knew 
that this one guy was going to come back. And so he constructs this lesson that he intended to be recorded for posterity in the Bible for us to read today. It's very easy for us to read Jesus with that all-knowing tone. But I don't think that Jesus is responding to the man with that kind of a, a tone in his voice. I think he responds to the man with absolute surprise. The 10 of them all went together in some part because they were a crowd. And so they followed the crowd into the unknown, but they didn't follow the one guy back in order to express gratitude. I think Jesus' response is surprised, surprised that one came back at all, surprised, surprised then that the crowd of nine didn't come with him, and then surprised that the one is Samaritan, and then surprised that the whole scenario is taking place the way that it did. Because in the end, all that Jesus says to this man is, that when, is what all the 10 people with leprosy knew when they set out, when they returned that their faith in following the unknown task that Jesus has set before them, that their faith is what made them well. Or, as other translations put it, their faith is what made them whole. The one man's act of gratitude didn't make him any more well, didn't heal him any more thoroughly than any of the others. It was their faith that made them well, not the gratitude. Now, what that one man's act of gratitude did do was increase his joy. What that one man's act of gratitude did do was give him more face-to-face time in the presence of God. What that one man's act of gratitude did do was connect him more deeply with Jesus Christ, who was able to offer him assurances of what had happened, of what God had actually done, who was able to affirm that man's perception that he was now actually made whole and complete and healthy physically, mentally, socially. What he was able to do was know that all of that was most definitely true, was intended to be so, was no mistake. That's what that man's gratitude did give him that the others didn't get. And my friends, that is what worship is. Worship is us returning to God with praise and gratitude for what God is already doing in our lives, for what God has already done, whether we have asked for it or not. It's us choosing to stop and take pause in that constant path forward that we are always driving on and to pause and to see what God has been doing all along the way and then to express our gratitude for no other reason than to have a few extra minutes in our lives of God's presence. A lot of the time, I hear Christians say to me that they need to go to worship to be fed or to be filled or to consume the spirit or the sermon or the music. And I'm going to tell you this with a lot of compassion, my friends. But worship isn't for us. Consuming is not what worship is for. Worship is not for us to consume. Worship is for us to return in spontaneous gratitude. Worship is, requires us to pause and see what God has already done 
and then to stop whatever we're doing and to say, thanks, that was amazing. I can't believe you did that for me and I didn't even ask. That is what worship is intended to be. Now that doesn't mean that we feel no effect of being in worship, in a state of worship, Particularly in recent years, there have been a lot of studies about the effects of practicing gratitude in our lives. We know that people who practice gratitude, even people who have experienced great trauma and terrible loss, people who experience gratitude prove to be more resilient to the unexpected things that happen. They report higher experiences of joy in their lives than people who don't practice gratitude. And they are more resistant to fear. When we come to worship God in gratitude, it's not that we don't experience anything, don't feel anything, don't come away changed. We 100% do. But it does us really well to pay close attention to what we are intending to do here. Are we coming into worship to consume something that we view is intended for us? Or are we coming into worship to return thanks for what God is continually doing in our lives? My husband, Andy, and I, uh, as our kids have grown up every now and then, we'll say to one another, he's grimacing at me, it's okay. Um, Every now and then we'll say to one another, invest 30 seconds now to save yourself 30 minutes later, right? Right? Invest 30 seconds now for that kid who's having the meltdown, for the one who looks like they're a little afraid or a little confused. If you just spend 30 seconds now assuring them it's going to be okay, then the next 30 minutes are going to be so much better. Gratitude is very similar. If we just stop so often, we are just going, 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 going. And we're so busy and we have so many things to do. And we tell ourselves this narrative, oh my gosh, we don't have any time. Oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get it all done. Whereas if we just paused and took 30 seconds to be grateful for the things that God has done, to identify those things that God has done, and then to turn and look forward onto that path again, who knows? how much we will have saved, who knows how much we will have changed just by giving thanks. Friends, we have that opportunity to do that here in worship every single Sunday. And most of us really take, a, take up that opportunity to practice gratitude together. So let us not forget that that is what we are called to do. Not to consume, not to take in, but to give out? And can we trust somehow that by taking off that mask of being a consumer, by taking off that mask that it always has to be about us or that it's me, 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 or that I'm so busy and so important, I have so much to do, that if we take that off, we'll actually find that we get it all back. If you will, please join me as we pray. God, it is so easy for us to get caught up in ourselves and to make ourselves the center of everything in the world. It is so difficult for us sometimes to take pause and to look at what you've done, to look at what you're doing. We like to think that we are that one 
who writes the thank you note and closes the envelope and sends it off to you. But so often, we just take the comfort and we run. We keep going, we keep going, we keep going, and it might be for good reason, but we don't take that pause. We don't take that extra 30 seconds of face-to-face time with you. Please, especially as we approach Thanksgiving, convict us of this. Help us to make a different choice. Help us to build into the pattern of our lives, a pattern of worship, pattern of being the one who stops. And even mid-stride, heading toward that destination that even you have told us to go, we stop and we turn and we say thanks. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.